0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We begin a new series over the next few weeks that we're calling God's Blueprint for Renewal, or the Blueprint of God for Renewal. I feel like we need to hear from the Lord about how He wants to accomplish renewal in our day, how He wants to redeem what we've been through in terms of a pandemic, how He wants to be with us in the midst of an economic situation that could be very difficult. But today the sadness that I feel is not really about the pandemic or about the economy. It's, it's really about how broken uh, the system is in, in our nation. The last few days of seeing a person killed by a policeman, to see people being threatened in a park, for bird watching, and to see that there is this, this systemic issue in our nation has broken my heart over these days as I've thought about it in connection to my own granddaughter who is of African-American descent and fears for her safety as she grows up or as I think about it for this precious church where we are a community of believers who are diverse in culture and from different racial and ethnic backgrounds. And what a blessing it is every time we get together and we see a little taste of heaven where every tongue and tribe and every nation will be represented. Or to think about how important it is when any organization or any group of people want to work together, that there has to be trust. And for there to be trust, there has to be a trustworthiness. I feel like God is calling us as a church to really look to His Word in these times and to look to Him in these times and to say, Lord, how can we experience renewal in a time of such decline? How can we resist this decline into injustice, into instability and insecurity and lack of trustworthiness? How can we how can we resist in a way that is biblical and 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 how can we get to the place of resilience? That it's not just a something that we're upset about for a while, but something that we have a resilience about that begins to actually affect change. What I've been looking at, and what has really struck me, is that the Bible has always said that our situation is a lot more desperate than we realize. Maybe we we're realizing it more now with all these negative factors in our life, but our situation, the Bible says, is desperate, but God has a plan. And so if we're going to experience renewal, if we're going to do resistance right, if we're going to become resilient as a people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe, then we're going to have to know His plan. And the word for plan in... Ephesians is actually the word blueprint. So I want to show you what the plan of God is, even in the midst of desperate times and desperate circumstances. Paul writes, and he says, making known to us the mystery of His will. Now, it's important that you realize that mystery used here is not in the English sense of mystery where you try to get the clues together and and figure out the solution. Mystery in the Greek sense is that there is a solution, but it is not discoverable. That's why it's a mystery. There's a solution to our, our desperate situation, but it's not discoverable. It has to be revealed. So in Greek, the idea of mystery is there is a solution but it has to be revealed, and there have to be people who are willing to receive this revelation. And the, and the, the, the thing to be revealed here is the will of God in the midst of that, that, that which God desires, that which God delights in. And it, it even in, in Ephesians 1: nine it says, he has a plan, and he uses the word. Oikonomia, which is, again, it's the idea of economy, of administration. God has an administration of renewal. Listen to the kind of renewal he's talking about. For the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Talking about Christ. That everything that's going on, God is not going to waste the troubles. He's not going to waste our brokenness. But he's going to unite all things in Christ. Both the things in heaven and the things on earth and in, in uh, Ephesians 1:11 Paul goes on and he says in him we have obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will this word counsel there is the word boule which in greek means it, it means boundaries with fixed settings it means drawing up the lines It means a blueprint. It is one of the strongest words in the Greek about a plan. So in other words, the will of God, that which delights God, He has these purposes for us. And He is using even the things we don't understand and the things that are wrecking our lives at times, and He's bringing them together in Christ... And he's got a blueprint. He's got things that are happening that you and I can't see, and that's why Paul calls them a mystery. Because they are things that we who wait on him and we who listen to him have to to begin to actually listen to him and have it revealed by him. And so there's a pattern that, that comes out, and it's a pattern that Works itself out not only in the scriptures but in the course of history it's a it's a pattern of renewal and it starts with the excitement of anything that's birthed anything that's given life has an energy has a an ability in, in and of itself to kind of sustain itself for a time but at, at some point in in, in life, everything stagnates. And anything that stagnates or plateaus, anything that does that is, gonna, is on its way to decline. And when something is spiritually involved in terms of learning how to operate in and, and develop and, and, and play your part in the blueprint of God then you begin to see that decline reversed and renewal come. Even in Jesus' life, His pattern that, that we see, we see on, on his, in His passion that He was rejected, He was slain, and He was resurrected. Now, we may not like these patterns, but these are the patterns of spiritual renewal. There are times in which God has to reveal to us not only how bad our society is, but how bad we are. One of the things that many people do not like, but Paul was really clear in saying this, he didn't just say there is darkness, he says we were the darkness. And at some point in our lives, we have to realize that, that there comes a time when you see something and it has to be rejected, It has to be crucified. It has to be slain so that it can be resurrected. And this is a pattern of spiritual renewal in our lives. And instead of resisting that, we need to actually embrace it and say, Lord, we need renewal. We need it badly enough that we can reject what is evil. We can reject the darkness. We can kill the darkness with the light. And then we can experience experience resurrection power. These blueprints have worked throughout the centuries. God is attentive to his people when we cry out for renewal. But when we are content in our stagnation, when we're content you know, not to reject what needs to be rejected, when we're content in our decline, then the inevitable outcome is death. I'm calling on us, and I'm asking over these next few weeks that we would become a people who begin to realize God is calling us to be participants in his blueprint of renewal. But it has to start personally. But even as it starts in a personal way, you have to begin to understand some things about what's going on around us in a bigger picture and in a a spiritually insightful way. What we're realizing, and... Lisa and I have been reading an author by the name of Mark Sayers, and he has really opened our minds to understand some of the contexts in which we're living and in which we're doing ministry. And one of the things I began to realize is that we're living in really an unprecedented time, both in the Christian history and in human history. And one of the ways to look at it is that a lot of what we remember about the earlier times of the advance of Christianity or the advance of the missionary movement and stuff has been that there was this pre-Christian pagan world. And they were able to receive the gospel and sometimes they, they experienced the gospel in these very dramatic ways and they put away their pagan gods and their pagan practices. And they exchanged a kind of a polytheism Uh, for the one true God, and they received Jesus as the Son of God. I've seen this very dramatically displayed in a couple places I've visited. In the Middle East, we were were going to some old churches, some churches that had been built in the 400s and the 500s. And what, what we were learning is that there had been a sweeping move of the gospel through the Arabian Peninsula. And that these churches had sprung up all over Arabia and that that the people and the tribes put away their, their many gods and they began to worship Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It was amazing as I went from church to church and they said throughout the 400s and the 500s, there were just churches and ministry and people giving their whole tribes, giving their lives to Christ. My wife is of Hawaiian descent. And I love when we go visit her family to do research on the spiritual history of Hawaii. And I, I had never really heard much about how the pagan rituals and the taboos and all of the things that had enslaved the people of Hawaii were completely thrown off. And the leaders particularly one queen and one, one chiefess, had come to Christ in such a dramatic way that they began to preach the gospel all over the Hawaiian Islands. But their faith was so strong that they went into uh, the, the volcanic region that was supposedly the, the temple and the, of the goddess Pele, And they stood in the place where no one was supposed to stand and they cried out and they said, if God is God, then we will die and you can worship Pele. But if we do not die and the lava doesn't get us and the volcano doesn't get us, then you must worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they stood with the background of a roaring volcano and preaching the gospel, the tribes came to the Lord Jesus Christ and the island became... A Christian island. See, there, there have been days, and, and there are many stories of their dramatic getting rid of all the pagan idols, getting rid of all the gods, and devoting whole tribes, whole nations to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, and here's why I'm talking about the pattern. Is in that same place where In the Arabian Peninsula, there was this huge movement in the 400s and the 500s. Those very churches, which are built in the shape of a cross, were later covered with a dome and turned into mosques. And the repudiation and rejection of the faith in Jesus Christ became a devotion to Islam. In the same way, in Hawaii, where there had been this amazing, this amazing dramatic turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in the late 1800s. This has happened in the early 1800s, and in, in the late 1800s, as U.S. interest came in and took over the islands and repudiated the Christian constitution of Hawaii and threw the queen into prison. The queen, who had been the organist at the church. And the choir director at the church was in prison so that U.S. could take over Hawaii. And there are, there are estimates that at that point, there were 95% of the Hawaiians were Christian. And after the takeover, and after the feeling of being betrayed, the number went from 95% Christian to 5%. What we see is, we see a, a kind of pattern that's constantly taking place where there can be incredible dramatic births spiritually, but then they stagnate, and then they decline, and either they are renewed or they are death. And Mark Sayers, he's talking about where we're at right now, is using human history and, and uh, a view of human history from sociologist Philip Reef And he says this, the first culture, and I know I'm being a little bit of a professor right now, but I feel like we can't just have an emotional renewal. I think we have to have a thoroughgoing renewal, and it has to be mind, heart, and will. So the first culture thing that was talking about like the Arabian Peninsula and Hawaii, so you have a, a more traditional oral culture. And they believe in many gods, and they have just fear of unpredictable spiritual uh, forces. Then you have this sort of second culture that develops around sacred scriptures, Judeo-Christian scriptures. You know, the Ten Commandments became the law of the land in Hawaii, which brought then order and, and some rationality to human life. And there was a code in which they could experience some human flourishing. Now, the problem in this second culture, and you begin to realize it doesn't make the culture Christian. It's more a Christianizing of the culture than it is being born again. It's giving a morality or a behavior to the culture, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the culture is Christian. It's Christianized, not Christian. But here's the here's. What happens? In the third culture, there's a rebellion against or a deconstruction of the second culture. And there's an elevation then of freedom and of the autonomy of the individual. And whether people know it or not, there comes in a disdain, a distrust for for institutions and and, uh, Reef says for matter itself. And so what happens is it narrows down, and this is where we are, that nothing is sacred but self. Self is the ultimate value. So pleasure, uh, fulfillment, security, joy, you know, happiness, all these things become ultimate values because the ultimate sacredness is self. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means we're, we're in a new culture. We find ourselves with a very different paradigm. I mourn the loss of Ravi Zacharias. I've always enjoyed listening to him speak. I've always enjoyed his insight. And I was watching a clip recently and and someone in a university was asking him a question. And before he would answer the question, he he asked the man... A question of clarification, and he asked, Are you a theonomist? Are you a heter- heteronomist? Are you an autonomous? <laughs> and the guy just looked at him and, you know, befuddled. And basically, he was saying, Do you believe in natural law that, that there is a law of God that governs the land? The guy said, No, of course not. So he said, Do you believe that there's a religion or a religious system? that you can uh, look to and say, that system has the truth? He says, of course not. He says, do you believe that the individual determines the truth? And the guy said, of course, that's my belief. The individual determines what is true. Then he says, then if I disagree with you, if I disagree with you, you can't then resort to being a theonomist, and you can't resort to being a heteronomist, You have to stay in your view of being an autonomous person, which says my view is equal to your view. And your view is equal to my view, which means no view matters at all. And and what's happening is we as Christians, we, we know that the culture we're in is insecure, it's unstable, but we don't even know how to answer it very well. We don't realize that when people are saying that everybody's view is equal or matters they really don't even mean that because as soon as you disagree with their view then your view is wrong so what we're living in is a desire but an unfulfilled desire for unlimited freedom so that in a way i can either i can be whatever i want to be so even some of us have unwittingly, in a way, said this, even to our children. You can be whatever you want to be. Well, they can't. I mean, very few people become president. Very few people make the NBA or the NFL. Very few people you know, become uh, recording artists. In many ways, what we have done is we've, we've, we've believed in a concept as a culture of unlimited freedom But it's incredibly unsatisfying, and it also does not give us meaning. And so what we're we're seeing is that there is not this complete rejection of Christianity. There is the desire for the benefits of Christianity without Christ. Or the benefits of Christianity, like equality and and, and freedom of religion and, and, and having a, a sense of value of every person. I mean, think about the hospitals that were built by Christians, the schools that were started by Christians. So people want the benefits of Christianity. They just don't want to have to become a Christian. My, my friend Ron Walburn likes to say that it's the, you know, the king without the kingdom or the presence of God And he says the presence with a T. We want his presence without his presence with a C. And so we're we're living in such a time. Now, I know that's a a lot of baby philosophy and stuff, but I think it's so important we realize the situation is more desperate than we realize. We see symptoms of it, but underneath what we're seeing of symptoms of is just the tip of the iceberg of all the problems of injustice, of all the problems of not having truth, not having any real security to rest on. So here's what I think God is doing in this. Because we see such decline, God is saying to His church, He's saying to you and me, He has prepared us for renewal. He has prepared us for resurrection. But in order for that to take place, we need to start stepping into our part in God's blueprint. We need to learn to resist giving in, to complaining, worrying, grumbling, to resist giving up by just withdrawing and isolating altogether. We must come to the place, and I I like this term, we must come to the place of resilience of being resilient Christians no matter what. So I think for us to do this, God has has been speaking to me really clearly, and though it is worse than we realize, we need an accurate diagnosis. In a sense, we can't just look at the symptoms. We have to diagnose what is it that we need. What's the root issue? And so where the Lord has been... Focusing my attention, particularly in the idea of a blueprint, blueprint for renewal, has been some teaching from other pastors who've spoken about this. First and foremost, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. who has a, uh, I've listened to his revival sermons. I've read his book on revival. He's quoted by Mark Sayers. He's quoted by Tim Keller. I really have been struck by how Mark chapter 9 is a very powerful analogy and a powerful diagnosis for where we are as individual Christians, but also where we are as the church when it comes to spiritual power and why we need renewal and to become resilient. So in Mark chapter 9, Jesus delivers a boy with an unclean spirit. His father had brought him to Jesus, but Jesus at that time was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was there with Elijah and Moses. And so the disciples who were there tried to do what they had done before. They had gone out and delivered people from demons in the mission that that Jesus had given them to go out two by two. But now they were not able to help this boy. And so instead of helping him, they're actually standing around arguing with the religious leaders while the boy is being tossed to the ground convulsing, and his father in one of the accounts says he's often thrown into the fire and thrown into the water. When Jesus shows up, Jesus heals the boy instantly. He casts this demon out with a rebuke. And then privately, a little later, we see in Mark chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, the disciples go, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus looked at him and said this, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, what happens a lot of times when we read this is we really don't get it. we got to look at this a little deeper. There's a lot here. These These aren't disciples who don't pray. And these aren't disciples who haven't had experience with demons. He's saying there's a kind of power here There's a kind of power here that you didn't have the capacity to deliver that boy from. And he's saying you didn't have a spiritual capacity in your prayer life or you had not gone to the place yet where you were capable of being the one who had the authority to cast this thing out. This is important that we get this. Well, why I talk about Martin Lloyd-Jones is because he's the one that makes this connection that has been just in my prayer life now, and in my my sense that God is speaking to us for these last few weeks. In 1959, Dr. Jones was was giving a series of messages on revival. It was the 100-year anniversary of these amazing revivals that took place in the U.S. and in the U.K. And here, what Lloyd-Jones is saying is, he says, do you not see that what Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching you and me, that their ordinary methods would not work, did not work for this kind. That's, that's, that's the statement that Jesus made. There is a kind of spiritual power in a person, in this case, that do not that does not come out by ordinary methods. So what Lloyd Jones did as he applied it to the church. Now, this is 1959, and he said, Here, in this boy, I see the modern world. And in the disciples, I see the church of God. I see a very great difference, he said, between today and 200 years ago, or indeed even 100 years ago. The difficulty in those earlier times was that men and women were in a state of apathy. They were more or less asleep. What he says, there's no general denial 100 years ago, 200 years ago. People didn't deny that there was a God. They didn't deny that the Bible was the Word of God. He's saying they were just apathetic. They didn't practice it. So the method that worked 100 years ago, 200 years ago, was you just awakened the sleeping Christians. Now what Lloyd-Jones is saying in 1959 which is quite a while ago, he's asking the question, is it still that we need what they needed 100 years ago? Or has the problem changed so that the kind of spiritual power that the church is facing today is not the same that they faced 100 years ago or 200 years ago? Isn't it possible, Lloyd-Jones is saying, and I am agreeing with it, isn't it possible that what we're facing all together as the church in our society and in our lives is something much deeper and much more desperate? So the diagnosis really matters. Now, Lloyd-Jones was a doctor as well as a preacher. And so he liked to diagnose. And in his diagnosis in 1959 is he said... The very belief in God has virtually gone. The average man today believes all this belief about God and religion and salvation is an incubus on human nature all through the centuries. Now, I know that we don't use that word incubus very much, but incubus is an indwelling kind of demon that what it does is sort of, it just basically takes the life out of you. In other words, what, what Lloyd-Jones is saying is people have come to the place where a belief in God is inconvenient for all the things they want to do. They want to do them without guilt. They want to do them without shame. And so the one to blame is anyone who teaches or preaches about God and about a morality that comes from God. So therefore, lloyd John says, it is no longer merely a question of immorality. This has become an amoral or a non-moral society the very category of morality, is not recognized. Now, he's writing this in 1959. You you can probably understand that it's gotten worse, not better. I mean, we live in a society where when good news comes that infection rates of the coronavirus are down, the governor says, don't thank God. Thank social distancing. We live in a society in which the grief that political officials have, have said they have is never over the sexual immorality in the city, but because they cannot display the sexual immorality in the city. I, we're, not, we're not in the issue of people who, who know or understand Judeo-Christian morality. We're in the day where it is a free-for-all of morality. You see, can you not hear me that basically it's a lot more desperate than we realized? So if it's this desperate, then we have to look and see and ask the same question that the disciples asked. Why can't we cast it out? And what Jesus is basically saying is the power that you had was a good power. It was able to do good work when I sent you out on that initial mission. But it has no value in the case of that boy. Well, how does that apply to us? Again, I, I'm, a lot of this I'm getting from Lloyd-Jones, from Mark Sayers, from Tim Keller, but it's because it just reverberates and resonates with my soul so much. Keller says this, put simply, Jesus is saying, The demon is in too deep for your ordinary way of doing ministry. He says the Western culture is perhaps the most challenging mission field yet because no one had ever had to evangelize on a large scale a society that used to be Christian. Remember, we live in a culture that says we want the benefits of Christianity, we just don't want to have to become Christians, and we don't want your Christ. So what Jesus is saying to us, and I think he's saying it prophetically to us, ordinary methods will not work for this kind of spiritual power that needs to be uprooted. And so what Keller, how Keller describes it is this way, he says, inoculation introduces a mild form of a disease into a body, stimulating the growth of antibodies and rendering the person immune to the sickness. That's what we're hoping with uh, future treatments of of COVID-19, is that there will be this growth of antibodies that will make us immune to the sickness. But he's saying, in the same way, a post-Christian society, this third culture, contains a unique resistance and even antibodies against full-blown Christianity. The problem is, he says, most people have only known an either very mild nominal Christianity or a separatist legalistic Christianity. Neither of these is, may we say, the real thing. But exposure to these other entities creates spiritual antibodies making the listener extremely resistant to the gospel. And here's what Keller says, and this is a diagnosis. These antibodies are now everywhere in our society. And so to sum that part up is to say it this way. We have an inoculated culture with resistant antibodies to Christianity. But even if you just watch the news, if you see what happened this week, the unclean spirits are still throwing the boy down into the fire. And they're still throwing the boy down into the water. And we are the only people with the authority to cast that spirit out. And it has to be more than just looking at it and and grieving it. It has to be that we have to recognize that ordinary methods are not going to work. So the way that Lloyd-Jones puts it, and I believe this is the biblical view, he says, the church is so constituted that every member matters and matters in a very vital sense. This is a matter of how do we ourselves develop the capacity of resistance, develop the capacity of renewal to become resilient against this sort of spiritual power and to see it renewed in our society, our culture, our families. He says it deserves our urgent attention. He says unless we as individual Christians are feeling a grave concern about the state of the church and the world, then we are very poor Christians indeed. If we are people who come to the Christian church merely in order to get some personal help and no more, then we we are the various babes in Christ. If we have grown at all, then we must have a concern about the situation, a concern about the state of our society, a concern about the state of the church, and a concern about the armor of Almighty God. He says, I repeat, it is a matter that should come home to every one of us. Please listen to what Lloyd-Jones is saying. I know he said it 59 years ago, in 1959, but it is true today. So what is this kind that we're fighting against? And why is it that I'm asking that you begin to participate in the blueprint of renewal? It's because there is an evil kingdom underneath. And in, every, in the evil kingdom of Satan, Ephesians 6 says that there are gradations of power. There's a hierarchy See, at the top is the head of it all is Satan himself. He's called by the scriptures, the prince of the power of the air. He's the spirit that is working in the children of disobedience. You see, there he is arrayed against you, against your family, against our church, against our society. And under him are various other spirits and powers and forces which vary in strength and in power. The disciples could easily deal with the lesser ones. They could master them. They could even exercise them. But here, says our Lord, is a spirit of greater power. He is not like those other feebler spirits that you've been able to master. This kind, the Lord Jesus says, is altogether different and constitutes a much greater problem. So what kind of power is needed? to over this kind of spiritual power. Well, Jesus was able to deliver the little boy with just a rebuke. I think Jesus is speaking, and I would like for you to hear that he's speaking to you personally. Jesus said, I did what you could not do because I have power, because I am filled with the power that God gives me by the Holy Spirit, for he gives not the Spirit by measure unto me. And, and Jesus is saying to us, you will never be able to deal with this kind of spiritual power unless you have applied to God for the power which He alone can give you. Now, that's, those are Lloyd-Jones' words, but let me put it a little bit in my words. The Lord Jesus Christ was a spirit-equipped human. He's fully God, but He did not operate in his earthly ministry. He did not deliver people from demons by his deity. He delivered demons in submission to the Holy Spirit and in the authority and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying here to his disciples and what he's saying to you and me, if we are to see the renewal that we need, then you and I have to step into the anointing that only Jesus can give us which means we have to in a new way, in a fresh way, and in a way that says, I have been invited into this moment. I have been called for such a time as this. And you begin to let him develop his power in you, not in the ordinary ways of the past, but in the extraordinary ways that he wants to do it now. I think he's calling on each and every one of us, not just to have superstar Christians or celebrity Christians, but to have every rank-and-file Christian say, it is my time to cast out this kind. And the truth is, it's coming after our homes, our children, our families. It's coming after everything we care about. it, It doesn't want to just cause stagnation. It doesn't want to just cause decline. It wants to cause death. Because Jesus himself said, the enemy's purposes were to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I believe you got to become aware of this need. You have to realize that in your own power, in your own resources, there's an impotence, there's a helplessness. I think in many ways why I thought it was timely to talk about this is because nothing has made us feel more helpless than this disease. Nothing has made us feel more helpless than seeing um, the racial injustice. Nothing has made us feel more helpless than to think about what is the future economy even going to look like. But what Jesus is teaching us is that this is too deep for just ordinary methods. That we need supernatural, extraordinary um, power here that can go down beneath this evil power and shatter it. And there's only one who can do that, and that's the power of Jesus in you by His Spirit. The Bible says really clearly, when God arises, His enemies scatter. And this is the story of all the renewals and revivals of history. You see, we have to know we need this kind. Not just, not just ordinary historic methods, but an extraordinary new methodology where men and women and boys and girls are empowered by His Spirit by seeking the power of Spirit alone. Andrew Murray said it this way. It has to begin with a great prayer require, revival. It starts in the closet. In the increase in secret prayer, not only of ministers, but also of members, there will be the sure herald of blessing. It is the blueprint of God to bring renewal. This is what delights God. This is what satisfies God. God is never delighted when our world is falling apart. He is only delighted when all things are united and come together in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to ask this of you for the next five weeks. You know, At first, I'm going to ask that the things that I'm going to lay out quickly here, that you would do it for five days. But I'm really asking that you would have a sense of, Lord, I'm seeking this power that will cast out that spiritual power for the next five weeks. But for the next five days, I want to ask you to do these things. One is I'd like you to pray with all your heart, asking God to enlarge your prayer and your worship life. See, before you even try to pray and worship, would you ask God first, every day, we say, Lord, enlarge my prayer life. Enlarge my worship life. And then make that time for God and lean in and learn to focus and hear from God. Here's the thing. Sometimes because we're such activists, we immediately start telling God how to fix the problem. What our diagnosis says is the problem is too deep, too desperate for us even to fully understand it. So we now need the capacity for, to hear from Him and for Him to uncover His solution. So I'm asking that your prayer would be not just that you start telling God how to fix things, but your prayer would be enlarge my heart for prayer and for worship. And then as you are asking that of God, then be sensitive because He's going to convict you of things and He's going to start nudging you. He's going to start moving in you. And anything that He asks, He says, repent of this. Don't just feel remorse, friends repentance is a change of mind. It's recognizing this doesn't work. This isn't right. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to behave that way anymore. And repentance is a change of source. You only will come to be filled with the Holy Spirit when you have decided that nothing else works. And here is, I wish I could take a little more time on this one, but here is an important thing. When I have asked the Lord to enlarge my heart, so that my prayers could be more powerful and my worship could be more powerful, he has often brought to my mind people that I needed to restore a relationship with and places where I needed to make restitution. You see, there's a a sense in which you and I have given too much access to the enemy in our, our minds and in our hearts. And when you make restitution, it's an amazing thing how that closes a door because you've made the relationship right. So if the Lord brings to your mind people to forgive or people to re- be restored to, go and do it quickly. These last two uh, uh, prayer strategies that I, I want you to, to employ for the next five days is that as your heart is being enlarged to pray and to worship with with wholeheartedness, I want you to look for God to bring people into your life for what we call divine appointments. And, and, and I want you to share Christ with them, especially with those who don't know Him, or pray with those who do know Him and follow the example of Jesus here. So, you see, then you see your, your faith in God is being expressed in looking for Him to answer your prayers, looking for Him to move in your life, believing and receiving that He's pouring out His Spirit on you. And through this, He will renew you. He will make you a resilient Christian. Let's pray together. Lord, I know I'm asking a lot. I know I've shared a lot of information. Only You can make information into transformation. But I do feel... And maybe maybe this is my burden I'm carrying, but I feel a desperation, Lord, that it is a lot worse than we realize. And you have continually been bringing this Mark 9 passage up to me of the disciples who couldn't cast out a demon even though the boy was being destroyed and tormented in front of their faces. And while he was being destroyed, they were arguing theology. Well, I agree with Lloyd-Jones. That's a picture of the world and the church. The world is being tormented. The, we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, particularly against the prince of the power the air who is the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. The ordinary methods will not work. I'm asking, would you Would you release this hunger throughout our congregation, throughout our families, throughout every individual a hunger that we can't watch the little boy get thrown down anymore? That we are going to rise up? That we're not content with the power of the past, but that we need a fresh, a fresh resistance, a fresh renewal, and a sustaining resilience.